Section 2 of the Complete Works of Tacitus, edited by Thomas Gordon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Graham Redman. The Complete Works of Tacitus, to which are prefix political discourses upon that author, Edited and translated by Thomas Gordon, with introductory essays by Thomas Gordon. Volume 1. Discourse 2. Upon Tacitus and his writings, Part 1. Section 1. The Character of Tacitus. As to the character of Tacitus and his writings, he was the greatest orator, statesman, and historian of his time. He had long frequented the bar, he had passed through all the high offices of state, he was aedile, praetor, consul, and after long acquaintance with business and men, he applied himself to collect observations and to convey the fruits of his knowledge to posterity under the agreeable dress of a history. For this task he was excellently qualified. No man had seen more scarce any man had ever thought so much or conveyed his thoughts with greater force and vivacity a mighty genius for which no conception or design was too vast a powerful orator who abounds in great sentiments and description yet a man of consummate integrity who though he frequently agitates the passions never misleads them a masterly historian who draws events from their first sources, and explains them with a redundancy of images and a frugality of words, a profound politician who takes off every disguise and penetrates every artifice, an upright patriot zealous for public liberty and the welfare of his country, and a declared enemy to tyrants and to the instruments of tyranny a lover of humankind, a man of virtue who adores liberty and truth and everywhere adorns and recommends them, who abhors falsehood and iniquity, despises little arts, exposes bad ones, and shows upon all occasions by the fate and fall of great wicked men, by the anxiety of their souls, by the precariousness of their power, by the uncertainty or suddenness of their fate, what a poor price greatness obtained is for goodness lost, and how infinitely persecuted virtue is preferable to smiling and triumphant wickedness. Germanicus, under all his hardships and disfavour, is a happier man than Tiberius with all his power and empire, happier in peace of mind, happier in his fame and memory. Tigellinus is a great favourite with Nero, but detested by all the rest of the world, and fearful of all men. Seneca is disliked by the emperor, but universally beloved and regretted. Tacitus is a fine gentleman who suffers nothing pedantic or low, nothing that is trifling or indecent to fall from his pen. He is also a man of wit, not such a one as is fond of conceits and the quaintness of words, but a wit that is grave, majestic, and sublime, one that blends the solemnity of truth with the fire of imagination and touches the heart rather than the fancy. Yet for the better reception of truth pleases and awakens the fancy. The telling of truth is dry and unaffecting, but to enliven it with imagery is describing it, and every one knows the advantages that description has over bare narration. Hence the force of fine painting, though in my opinion the orator has the advantage of the painter as words can multiply ideas better than the pencil, throw them thicker together, and inflame them more. What piece of Apelles could have animated the Athenians against Philip of Macedon like one of Demosthenes's orations? 
what picture of love can equal the description of that passion by lucretius the noblest wit of all the latin poets it is hardly i believe possible for colours to carry images higher than they are by michael angelo carried in his piece of the last day yet i believe it not only possible but easy to make a description of that day more affecting than the sight of that celebrated piece section two how much he excels in description and force painting in words is the strongest painting and in that art tacitus excels to amazement his images are many but close and thick his words are few but pointed and glowing and even his silence is instructive and affecting how justly does he represent that noble sullenness and disdain of the wife of arminius when brought with other captives before germanicus inerent et feminae nobiles interquasuxor arminii eodemque filia segestis mariti magis quam parentis animo neque victor in lacrimas neque voces supplex compressis intrasinum manibus gravidum uterum intuens a circumstance of distress more moving than this last could not be devised and what words or exclamations or tears could raise compassion so effectually as the representation of a spirit too great to weep or complain of a grief too mighty to be uttered the march of germanicus and his army to the forest of teutberg to bury the bones of verus and his legions there massacred by the germans the description of that camp with the revival of the circumstances of that tragical event and the sympathy and resentments of the soldiers are all beautifully displayed with great force and brevity with equal tenderness and horror Per moto ad miserationem omni qui adorat exercitu, ob propinquos amicos, denique ob casus bellorum et sortem hominum. Incadent moistos locos, visuque ac memoria deformes. Prima vari castra lato ambitu et dimensis principiis, trium legionum manus ostentabant. Dein semiruto valo humili fossa, accisae iam reliquiae concedisi intelegebantur. Medio campi albentia ossa, ut fugerant, ut restiterant disiecta vel agerata. Adiacebant fragmina taylorum equorumque artus, simul truncis arborum antifixa ora. Lucis propinquis barbarae arae, apud quas tribunos ac primorum ordinum centuriones mactaverant. Claudius eius superstites, pugnam aut vincula elepsi, referebant hic cecidisi legatos, illic raptas aquilas, primum ubi vulnus varo ad actum, ubi infelice dextra et suo ictu mortem invenerit quo tribunale concionatus arminius quot patibula captivis quae scrobes utque signis et aquilis per superbiam in lucerit igitur romanus qui adorat executus sextum post claudis annum trium legionum ossa Nullo noscenti alienas reliquias ansuorum humo tegeret, omnes ut conjunctos ut consanguineos, auctor in hostem ira, moisti simul et infensi condebant. Here is eloquence and description. What can be added, what can be taken away? His style is everywhere warm and pathetic, 
and he never informs the understanding or entertains the imagination, but he kindles the affections. You are not only convinced by his sentiments, but governed by them, charmed with them, and grow zealous for them. This is a trial of the power and skill of a writer, this the drift and glory of persuasion and eloquence, and this the talent of Tacitus. To display tyrants and tyranny he chooses the strongest words and figures. Facinora ac flagitia sua, ipsi quoque in supplicium verterant, si recludant or tyrannorum mentes, posse ad spici leniatus et ictus, quando ut corpora berberibus iters aevitia libidine malis consultis animus dilacerator, quipe tiberium non fortuna non solitudines protegebant, quin tormenta pectoris suasque ipsi poenas fatterator. It was his business and design to lay open the iniquity and horrors of their misrule. Saiva iussa, continuas accusationes, phalaces amicitias, perniciem innocentium. You see the bloody hands of the executioners, Rome swimming in the blood of her own citizens, and all the rage of unrelenting tyranny, undantem per domus sanguinem, aut manus carnificum. You see the bands of accusers let loose, nay, hired to destroy, and breathing death and exile. Saevitiam oratorum accusationes minitantium, delatores per primia elicie bantur. You see the barbarous outrages of an insolent and merciless soldiery. Cuncta sanguine ferro flamisque miscent. You see madmen bear rule. These mad rulers governed and made worse by slaves, villains, and harlots. Yet all these monsters adored, their persons, wickedness, and even their fury sanctified. Iniquity exalted, virtue trod underfoot, laws perverted, righteousness and truth depressed and banished, every worthy man doomed to scaffolds, rocks, and dungeons, the basest of all men pronouncing that doom and making a prey or a sacrifice of the best, fear and distrust and treachery prevailing, the destroyers themselves haunted with the perpetual dread of destruction, at last overtaken by it, yet seldom leaving better in their room. All these melancholy scenes you see exposed in colours strong and moving. The thoughts are great, the phrase elevated, and the words chaste and few. It is all a picture. Whatever he says you see, and all that you see affects you. It puzzles one to give instances because there are so many in every page. How many affecting images are there in these few words near the beginning of the first annal? Quotus quisque reliquus qui republicam vidicet. How mournful too and expressive, yet how plain are these which immediately follow. Igitur verso civitatis statu, nihil usquam prisci et integri moris, as well as those a little before, rebus novis aucti tuta et praesentia, quam vetera et periculosa malent. With what thunder and vehemence does Arminius rouse the Caruscans, his countrymen, to arms, when his wife became a captive to the Romans, and his child a slave, though yet unborn. Egregium patrem, magnanimum imperatorem, fortem exercitum, quorum tot manus unam mulieculam avexerint. Sibi tres legiones, totidem legatos procobuisi, Non enim se proditione neque adversus feminas gravidas, sed palam adversus amatos bellum tractare. 
Cani ad hoc germanorum in lucis signa romana, coleret segestes victam ripam, rederet filio sacerdotium, etc. In how few words does he comprise a long and perplexed debate in the council held by Germanicus how to proceed with the mutinous legions? Augebat metum gnarus superior executus Romani seditionis, et si omiteretur reaper invasurus hostis, ac si auxilia et socii adversum abscedentes legiones armarenta, civile bellum suscipi, periculosa severitas, flegitiosa largitio, siu nihil militi, siu omnia concaderenta, in ancipiti res publica, igitur, etc. Section 3. Further instances of the justness of his genius and of his great thoughts. His account of the persecutions of Germanicus, with his last words and amiable character, makes a fine tragedy. So does the death of Seneca. So does that of the conspirators against Nero. With what magnanimity and calmness does Sulpicius Asper, the centurion, answer the brutal tyrant when asked why he had conspired against his life? Non eliter tot flagitiis eius subveniri potuisi. With what silence and firmness did the consul Vestinus die, though he was Nero's old companion and friend, and unconcerned in the conspiracy, and no crime nor accuser against him. Vigens ad hoc balneo infertur, calida aqua mersatur, nulla edita voce qua se miseraretur. How beautiful, how deep and just are his observations upon human nature. Moles in calamitate humani animi. Mobiles ad superstitionem percusae semulmentes. Cupidine ingenii humani lubentius obscura credi. Neque morum spernendus nisi quod palpertatem praecipuum malorum credebat. Vivorum ut magna admiratio iter censura difficilis. Eandem virtutem admirantibus qui irascebantur. Manebat admiratio viri et fama sed odorant. Beneficia eo usque laeta sunt dum videntur exolvi posse. Ubi multum anticessere pro gratia odium reditur. Exacto perscelera die novissimum malorum fuit laetitia. Rumore populi qui neminem sine aimulo sinit. Minore spe veniae crescit vinculum sceleris. Populus novarum rerum cupiens pavidusque. Vulgus eadem pravitate interfectum insectatur, qua viventem foverat. How masterly and profound are those upon government. Primas dominandis pays in arduo, Ubisis ingressus ad esis studia et ministros. Arduum eodem loci potentiam et concordiam esse. Potentia cautis conciliis tutius habetur. Maior e longinquo reverentia. Principibus praecipua rerum ad famam dirigendo. Insociabile regnum. Cupido regni fratre et filia potior. Scarum cui implacabilius irascebatur Tiberius silentio tramisit. Intelegebanta artes sed pars obsequii in eo ne deprehenderentur. In summa fortuna aequius quod validius. 
These I do not quote as the finest thoughts in Tacitus, but only such as occur to me. He paints thoughts and faculties, men and passions, tyranny and slaves. His imagination is boundless, yet never outruns his judgment. His wisdom is solid and vast, yet always enlivened by his imagination. His designing is great, his drawing just, his colouring beautiful. See the description of a pestilence at Rome. Domius corporibus examimis itinera funeribus complebantur, non sexus non aetas periculo vacua, servitia perinde ac ingenua plebes raptim extingui, interconjugum et liberorum lamenta, qui dum accident dum deflent saepe eodem rogo crema bantur. Equitum senatorum que interitus quamvis promiscui minus flebiles errant, tanquam commune mortalitate saevitiam principis prevenirent. Under a tyrant a plague was a blessing. Who but Tacitus could have said, as he does of the ancient Germans, Argentum et aurum propitii an irati dii negaverint dubito, or that afterwards of the same people, Mira diversitate naturae, cum iidem homines sic ament inertiam quietem odorint, or that of the Setones, a particular clan of Germans, who were under the government of a woman, in tantum non modo a libertate sed etiam a servitute degenerant. These are such instances of discernment, sagacity, and happy expression as few writings can show. By them, and a thousand more, it is manifest that Tacitus saw everything in a true and uncommon light, and his reflections are like mirrors where human nature and government are exhibited in their proper size and colours. I cannot help thinking that, to be a bold and gallant saying of Boiocalus to the Roman general, who refused him a mansion for himself and his people in the vacant lands of Frisia, and thence provoked him to implore the sun and stars. Quasi coram interrogabat, Velentne contueri inane solum, potius mare superfunderent adversus terrarum ereptores, deesse nobis terram in qua vivamus, in qua moriamur non potest. What a sublime thought is that of his concerning the Fenians, the most savage and wretched race this of all the wild Germans, their clothing, skins, their bed, the earth, their food, the grass, destitute of horses, houses, and arms, the thick branches of trees their only shelter against tempests and the ravening beasts. Here they find cradles and protection for their babes, here live the old men, and hither resort the young. Yet this miserable life they prefer to that of sweating at the plough, and to the pains of rearing houses. They thirst not after the fortunes of others, they have no anxiety about preserving their own, so that they hoped for nothing that was not theirs, and having nothing of their own could fear to lose nothing. Securi, says Tacitus, adversus homines, securi adversus deus, rem difficilimam ad secuti sunt, Ut illis ne voto quidem opposit. Section 4. The Morality of Tacitus and His Spirit Virtuous and Humane As obvious, too, as his other great qualities, is his love of mankind, of civil liberty, and of private and public virtue. His book is a great tableture of the ugliness and horrors of tyranny, of the scandal and infamy of servitude and debasement, of the loveliness of virtue and a free spirit, of the odiousness of vice and sycophancy. Such was his sympathy for the sufferings and severe lot of the Romans under Tiberius, 
that he is glad of a digression from home, and keeps thence as long as he can to relieve his soul from attending to domestic evils. Duabus aestatibus gesta conjunxi, quo requiescaret animus a domesticis malis. He grieves for the slavish spirit, for the stupid tameness of the Romans under the tyranny of the detestable Nero. So much Roman blood wantonly shed by that monster is a load upon his soul, and oppresses it with sorrow. Patientia servilis, tantumque sanguinis domi perditum, fatigant animum et maestitia restringunt. He delights in good times, in public liberty and virtuous reigns, and delights to praise them, such as those of Nerva and Trajan. Rara temporum felicitate, obi sentire quae velis, et quae sentias dicere licet. In what a different strain does he speak of the foregoing emperors? Nobilitas opes omissi gestique honores pro crimine, et obvertutes certissimum exitium. He glories, however, that the worst and most faithless times produced many instances of friendship and generous fidelity. Non tamen adio virtutum sterile seculum, ut non et bona exempla prodiderit. He is fond of a virtuous character, as that of Labio, Labio incorrupta libertate et ob id fama celebratio such as that of Lepidus. Hunc ego Lepidum temporibus illis gravem et sapientem virum fuisi comperio, nam plerequi absaivis adulationibus aliorum, in melius flexit. And that of Lucius Piso, chief pontiff, nullius servilis sententiae sponte auctor. How amiable are the death and last words of Lucius Aruntius, like those of a patriot and a prophet! But how vile everywhere, and even miserable and insecure, are tyrants, flatterers, and the ministers of iniquity! What he says of the first I have quoted above, and against the other hear his honest indignation. Tempora infecta et adulatione sordida fuere. Faedaque et nimia censerent, adulatio perinde ancep si nulla et ubi nimia est. De la Torres genus hominum, in exitium publicum repertum, perniciem aliis, ac postremo sibi in venere. What an odious insect is Vatinius, what a horrible villain Tigellinus! what infamous sycophants are Capito and Vitellius, and what a shocking parricide is Serenus, the accuser of his father, and a general accuser. Section 5. The Style of Tacitus, How Pertinent and Happy, His Obscurity, A Charge of the Moderns Only. Besides the grandeur and dignity of his phrase, he is remarkable for a surprising brevity. But let his words be ever so few, his thought and matter are always abundant. His expression is like the dress of Papia Sabina, described by himself, Velata parte oris ne satiaret aspectum, vel quia sic decebat. He starts the idea and leaves the imagination to pursue it. The sample he gives you is so fine that you are presently curious to see the whole piece, and then you have your share in the merit of the discovery, a compliment which some able writers have forgot to pay to their readers. I cannot help thinking Mr. Locke a great deal too wordy, and that the plainness of his propositions, as well as their strength, suffers often by an explanation over-diffuse. Dr. Tillotson's style is much better, indeed very fine, but takes up too much room. It is likely he chose it as fit for popular discourses, 
since it is plain from the vivacity of his parts and the many fine turns found in his writings that he could have been very sententious. These two great names are by no man reverenced more than I reverence them, and without malignity I mention them, as I do that of the worthy Lord Clarendon, whose language is weighty and grave, but encumbered and even darkened, I might say flattened, with a multiplication of words. Style is a part of genius, and Tacitus had one peculiar to himself, a sort of a language of his own, one fit to express the amazing vigour of his spirit, and that redundancy of reflections which, for force and frequency, are to be equalled by no writer before or since. Besides, the course and fluency of his narration is almost everywhere broken by persons whom he introduces speaking and debating, insomuch that a great part of his history comes out of the mouths of other people, and in expressions suitable to their several characters. It is plain, too, that the older he grew, the more he pruned and curtailed his style, for his histories are much more copious and flowing than his annals, and thus what has been by others reckoned a fault was in him the effect of his judgment. Neither were his works intended for the populace, but for such as governed states, or such as attended to the conduct of governors, nor were the style and Latin ever so plain would they ever be understood by such as do not. As Plutarch came to understand the Roman tongue by understanding their affairs, Tacitus is to be known by knowing human nature and the elements and mechanism of government. It is madness to wish for the manner and redundancy of Livy in the writings of Tacitus. They wrote at different times and of governments differently formed. Tacitus had transactions of another sort to describe, and other sorts of men, for by government men are changed, the crooked arts of policy, the false smiles of power, the jealousy, fury, and wantonness of princes uncontrolled, the flattery of the grandees, the havoc made by the accusers, and universal debasement of all men, matter chiefly for reflection, complaints, and rebuke. Nobis in arto et in glorious labor, moistae urbis res, etc. Livy had another field and more scope, the history of a commonwealth rising, forming, and conquering, perpetual victories, and matter of panegyric, and his pen flowed like the prosperity of the state. Ingentia bella, expugnationes urbium, fusos captosque reges, discordias consulum adversus tribunos, agrarias frumentarias qui leges, plebis et optimatium catamina, libero egressu memorabant. Doubtless he could have adopted another style if he would, perhaps the style of Livy, as I think this very quotation shows, but Tacitus had another view and different topics. Nor would another style, the easy and numerous style of Livy, have answered his purpose. I fancy, too, that nobody who knows Tacitus would wish him to have written in a strain different from what he has done. There are charms in his manner and words, as well as in his thoughts, and he wears the only dress that would become him. It is amazing that this obscurity of his should never be mentioned by any of the ancients who mention him. It is a fault discovered by the moderns, though, in my opinion, common to him with other classical writers. Nor has he puzzled the commentators more than Horace, Cicero, Pliny, Sallust, etc. His Latin is truly pure and classical. He has few or no words which had not been used by approved writers, nor does he often give new ideas to old words. If his works were nowise obscure to men of sense when he composed them, as we have no reason to think, it is insolence and folly in us to reckon his obscurity a fault. It is a dead language which he writes in, and he wrote seventeen hundred years ago. 
When Tacitus, the emperor, directed copies of his books to be placed in all the libraries, and for their better preservation to be transcribed ten times every year, he ordered no grammarian to explain his abstruse places, though the historian had been then dead near two hundred years. Great writers are in their manner and phrase a law and authority to themselves, and not confined to the rules that fill the heads or grammars of small wits and pedants. Milton has a style of his own, and rules for writing of his own, and who that tastes his genius would wish him more fashionable and exact, or to have written otherwise. I am even pleased with the jarrings of Milton's phrases, but here I chiefly mean his poetical style. Of his prose I shall make mention hereafter. When the subject varies, so should the style. That of Tacitus is marvellously suited to his subject and design. Had it been more familiar, it had neither been so just nor so beautiful. To me nothing is more so than the manner of Tacitus. His words and phrases are admirably adapted to his matter and conceptions, and make impressions sudden and wonderful upon the mind of man. The doleful condition of the Emperor Vitellius when deserted by his fortune and all men is strong and tragical as imagination and words can make it. Terret solitudo et tacentes loci, tentet clausa, in horrescit vacuis, fessusque misero errore, et pudenda latebra semet occultans, a tribuno protrahitor. Pinctae pone tergum manus, leniata veste, faedum spectaculum ducebatur, multis increpantibus, he adds, nullo in lacrimante. And the reason he gives for this is judicious and fine. Deformitas exitus misericordiam abstulerat. What follows is in the same affecting strain, as are the first sensible approaches of his calamity. Vitellius capta urbe aventinum in domum uxoris cellula defertur, ut si diem latebra vitaviset terracinem perfugeret. Dein mobilitate ingenii et quae natura pavoris est, cum omnia metuenti praesentia maxime displicerent in palatium regreditur, vastum desertumque, dilapsis etiam infimis servorum, aut occursum eius declinantibus. Who would blame Tacitus for a paucity of words when he conveys so many images in so few? Is habitus animorum fuit, ut pessimum facinus auderent pauci, plures velent, omnes paterentur. Where can there be a happier expression than that concerning Galba, when the empire was already rent from him, and he knew it not? Ignorus interim Galba et sacris intentus, fatigabat alieni iam imperii deos. When Otho, proclaimed emperor by no more than three-and-twenty soldiers, was advancing to the camp, et paucitate salutantium trepidus. The behaviour and acquiescence of those he met in his way are accounted for with surprising brevity and justness. Alii conscientia, plerique miraculo, pars clamore et gladiis, pars silentio, animum ex eventu sumpturi. There is infinite pathos in what he says of the omens and phenomena which were observed during the civil wars and the strife of princes. Coilo terraque prodigia et fulminum monitus et futurorum praesagia lita, tristia, ambigua, manifesta. What can be more solemn, sounding, and sublime, even in Lucretius? When Nero was disgracing himself and the Roman state, 
by debasing his person to that of a player upon the public stage, how pathetically is the behaviour and spirit of Burrus described in a few words. Ad starbat Burrus myrens et laudans. Section 6. A General Character of His Works There is no end of specimens and examples. It is all over a wonderful book, full of wisdom, full of virtue, of astonishing strokes of genius and superior sense. Yet he seems not to value himself upon his great thoughts. The finest things fall from him like common things. He says them naturally, and never dwells upon one, because he has always more to utter. When he has struck your imagination, and you want to stand still and ruminate, you have no time. He draws, or rather forces, you forward, and the next thought strikes you as much. So does the third, and all of them, and you go on reading and wondering, yet wishing for leisure to ponder and recollect. But he gives you none. For from first to last the present reflection is always the best. Tis all of it eternal good sense, and will bear an eternity of time and censure. It is no wise akin to your pretty trifles of humour and fancy that just tickle the imagination, but go no deeper, and please for a day. His beauties are solid, and upon the strictest examination discover no paint or tinsel. His wisdom and instruction are inexhaustible, and his works consequently an everlasting feast. I have seen several performances of tolerable length and notable reputation, all derived from so many short sentences of Tacitus, well wire-drawn and paraphrased. He is indeed a fund for writers who have discretion and style, but want depth. There is a fine short character of Tacitus in Owen's epigrams. Veracem facit probitas, natura segacem, obscurum brevitas te, gravitasque brevem. Section 7 Tacitus vindicated from the imputation of deriving events from councils too subtle and malevolent. He is accused, too, of overmuch subtlety and refining, and of deriving the actions of his princes, even the most innocent and plausible, from crooked designs and a base heart, and of imputing to craft and politics what was often no more than the effect of inclination and passion a charge, in my opinion, entirely groundless. Tacitus describes things and men as they are, shows particulars acting agreeably to their characters, their situation and views, and represents counsels flowing from such sources only as were likely to produce them. Let us examine his reign of Tiberius, for which he is chiefly censured. The first feat of this reign was the murder of Agrippa, the grandson of Augustus. Tiberius ordered it, and denied it, and threatened the centurion who was the executioner, that he should answer for it to the Senate. This is the account given by Tacitus, and the same is given by Suetonius. The former adds that it was done from jealousy of state, and for the removal of a rival. And what other reason is to be given? For he had shown how improbable it was that the same had been ordained by Augustus, though this was pretended, as Suetonius too testifies. Nor was anything more natural than his apprehensions of Germanicus, a young prince popular above all men, and at the head of a great army, who wanted him for their emperor in the room of Tiberius. This is matter of fact, and well attested. Now where is the extreme refining to represent Tiberius as contriving to remove such a dangerous man, one of such good pretenses and powerful interest, first from his faithful legions, and then from home, for ever? 
though at the same time he flattered him, extolled him, and heaped honours upon him. All this is but the common road of such courts when they have the same designs and fears. Is it not usual in Turkey to load a bashaw with imperial presents, to bestow upon him some great government, and to murder him before he arrive at it? Is not power a jealous and artificial thing, full of fears and wiles? And is not Tiberius allowed by all men to have been a prince of infinite distrust, craft, and cruelty? What meant he by making great men governors of provinces, and yet never suffering them to go thither for a course of years, nor even out of Rome, though they still held the name? What meant he by continuing others in the actual possession of provinces for a long tract of years, nay, frequently to the end of their life? Was it not his distrust of the former, and that as to the latter he could not make a safer choice, and therefore was afraid to choose any? Yet Tacitus, far from diving into his politics in this matter, or being subtle and dogmatical about it, gives you the sentiments of others. Alii taedio novae curae, semel placita pro aeternis serva visae, quidam invidia ne plures fruarentur. Sunt qui estimant ut calidum eius ingenium, ita anxium judicium. Neque enim eminentis virtutes sectabatur, et rosum vitia oderat. Ex optimis periculum sibi, a pessimis de decus publicum metuebat. Never was anything said more impartial, never anything more just and solid. From the doubles and even contradictions that possess the heart of man, the conduct of men will be perplexed and contradictory. It is allowed that alieni appetens sui profusus was a just branch in the character of Catiline, and is reckoned one of the beauties and strong places in Sallust. Without peradventure, as beautiful and strong and just, is this of Tacitus. Neque eminentis virtutis sectabatur, et rosum vitia oderat. The reason, too, assigned for it is equally just and fine. Ex optimis periculum sibi, a pessimist de decus publicum metuebat. Is not this accounting from the principles of nature and self-preservation for the conduct and politics of Tiberius? Many of his actions and measures recounted by Tacitus are supported by collateral evidence by Suetonius, Pliny, Dion Cassius, and others. Many by them omitted are by him related with such probability and so perfectly resemble the rest of his conduct that we must deny Tiberius to have been such a prince as all men agree he was, or believe the account of him given by Tacitus. His dissimulation was constant and notorious. In the very beginning, while he confidently acted as emperor with all the pomp and might of majesty, he openly refused the empire. Principatum, says Suetonius, quam vis neque occupare confestim, neque agere dubitasset, vi et specie dominationis assumpta, diu tamen recusavit impudentissimo animo. Such severe language as this is not given him by Tacitus. Does Tacitus represent him as hating and fearing the great Romans and illustrious senators? And do not other historians, do not the facts themselves prove it? Was he not continually destroying them till they were almost all destroyed? Of the twenty grandees, particularly Principum Civitatis, whom he desired of the senate for his confidence and counsellors, he left not above two or three alive, all the rest were by treachery and feigned crimes cut off by him. Horum omnium vix duos aut tres in columes praestitit, 
Caeteros allium aliade causa perculit, says Suetonius. Is Tacitus therefore too refined in discovering what facts demonstrate? Is it not Suetonius too who says, Multa specie gravitatis ac morum corrigendorum, sed magis naturae obtemperans saeve et atrocita factitavit? It was usual with him to do actions exceeding barbarous and merciless, yet all under show of justice and the reforming of manners, but in reality from the instigation of his own cruel spirit. Is Suetonius also over-subtle, the historian in the world the most plain, and seldom aiming at a reflection? For what reason did he suffer the boundaries of the empire to be invaded and provinces to be seized by the barbarians, but from fear of trusting any great officer with the conduct of the war? That he affected to derive all power from the senate, yet left them but the shadow of authority, and was even jealous of that shadow, is sacredly true. It was even natural, and wanted no reasoning to discover it. Did not Cromwell do the same? And are not all men willing to have their power, however lawless, legitimated, and the odium of their acts of violence transferred upon others? Will any one say that the Senate liked his acts of sovereignty, his frequent impeachments of their members, often the best and most innocent, and his obliging them to condemn, for he that dares not refuse is forced to consent, and his leaving every particular in continual dread of being the next, which was a farther motive in each to hatred and complaisance. He knew he had earned their hate. Reputante sibi publicum odium. Is it likely now that he loved them, or that there was or could be sincerity or confidence on either side? What did his retirement in the Isle of Caprii, with his perpetual absence from Rome, infer but continual distrust of the senate and people? Just before he expired he was hastening from a ramble upon the continent back to his den. Non temere quidquam nisi ex tuto auzurus, to take measures of vengeance against the senate, for that he had read in their acts that they had discharged certain persons accused, though he had writ to the senate, that they were only named by the informer. Pro contempto se habitum fremens, repetere caprias quoquemodo destinavit, non temere, etc. This too is related by Suetonius. It is certain the senate were to all these tyrants a constant mark of jealousy and hate, and some of them, particularly Caligula and Nero, had proposed to extirpate that venerable assembly by murdering the whole body. End of Discourse 2, Part 1